0: Cool. Um, today, I get the privilege of introducing you to David and Holly Hodgey. They are missionaries that we as Element support, so I'd like to invite them up and give them the stage for a little bit so they can just chat about who you guys are and what you're doing. Hi, guys. Um, so it's an honor to be here today. I don't know if most of you would recognize me, but I've been, my family's been a part of Element for a really long time, and I have personally known Aaron and a bunch of you here since I was in junior high. So you might recognize me as that awkward teenager. (laughs) Was junior high good for anyone? I don't know. It was terrible for me. (laughs) But David's actually lived in Santa Maria his whole life as well. So we're just really honored to be able to come back here and share with you what God has called us into today.
1: I'm just going to give us a brief snapshot of what we do in our, our ministry. So we work for a missions agency known as CRM. And CRM got its birthplace in 1980. We have about 500 missionaries serving around the world in 87 countries um, today, and including uh, the United States, our own backyard. Um, together, CRM's committed to three main things um, so that Jesus' name would be known among the nations. And those three things are pioneering new ground among the unreached and the unchurched, uh, bringing transformation among the poor, and mobilizing the church for mission. Um, In 2014, we saw about 16,000 people come to know Jesus through CRM worldwide. Um, And uh, we, in our particular ministry within CRM, kind of um, do a blend of all three of those initiatives. But we kind of have a main contribution to pioneering new ground among the unreached and the unchurched. Um, We have this huge desire to embody the person of Jesus in the dark um, and stale parts of the world and specifically where the church has lost a lot of its influence. Um, To kind of flesh that out just a little bit, a sociologist from Notre Dame, he's an author, speaker, Christian Smith, um, has influenced us quite a bit. He's written two books, um, Souls in Transition and Soul Searching, but he's dedicated basically the last ten years of his life to studying a people group known as Young American Emerging Adults. And um, through countless research and studies, he basically has came up with some quite a bit of statistics, one of them being 70% of those reared in the church, the young American emerging adults today, um, will be disengaged um, by the age 29. 29. Another statistic he has is 80% of young American emerging adults who are living in kind of urban, dense populations um, are deemed unreachable by the church in its current form. And um, just in actuality that plays out today, I think we can see a lot of the reality of young people aren't necessarily coming to church on Sundays. And so we, Holly and I, begin to ask the question, why? Why is that happening? What's going on in the culture? Um, And some of those statistics hit real personally with me, um, and I'd imagine with you as well. My little brother grew up in the church. Um, My mom taught us to love Jesus. Um, And uh, just a few years ago, he's kind of told me and my family, you know, um, I don't want to come to church anymore. I don't want to set uh, my foot through the doors of a church. And that definitely broke my family's heart, broke my heart. Um, I'd imagine that story, though, is not in isolation. I bet you have a friend, a family member, grandson who has a similar story. And um, you still long for them to know Jesus. And I still long for my little brother to know Jesus. And the crazy thing that we've discovered is it's not that they don't want to ask hard questions and talk about God and, wrestle with who Jesus really is, it, it's, they just don't want to do it uh, on Sunday morning in a building. So if it's not going to be through the doors of a church, what's it going to be? And that's why we exist. That's why we do what we do. Uh, we move into a neighborhood. We serve on a missionary team in San Diego to live alongside individuals and families who have yet to align their lives with Jesus. Um, we believe in embodying the good news of Jesus in a place, in a neighborhood, fighting for the good of that place, um, for the good of our neighbors. And along the way, we see people come to follow Jesus in a new and fresh way. Um, We uh, invest in our neighborhood quite a bit. Um, We participate in the local halfway homes, rehabilitation homes, leading Bible studies. Um, We've started sports nights for the Latino population in our demographic, participating in the migrant church um, locally. Uh, We have tons of stories we'd love to share with you guys. Um, If you're inspired, encouraged, challenged by anything we said, um, we'll be in the information desk um, after every service. Please come talk to us. We'd love to share with you. We'd love to build a relationship with you. Um, That's what we value most is relationship, Um, and uh, we'd love to go on this journey with you, so um, that's what we do. Thank you. That's awesome.
0: (laughs) Gospel community, okay? Got questions about gospel community? Right there, bam. Um, cool, so today, here's not here, so, you know, we'll see how it goes. Uh, I have a few uh, announcements. First off, we have baptisms coming up. So baptisms are coming up. If you are interested in getting baptized, if you would like to get baptized, uh, if you just want more information about baptism, uh, we are having informational meetings after each service next week. Um, it's a short informational meeting, so please plan on going to that. Uh, <clears throat> Don't just show up to baptism and be like, hey, I want to get baptized today. Uh, We want a little bit more information than that. We want to know your story more than that. And we'd like to give you a platform in which you get to share your story and how God is working in your life. Um, So please go to that meeting. Um, Let's see. Next things, youth. Okay. Junior high and high school are going on a beach trip on July 30th. Okay. So if you have a junior hire, you have a high schooler that wants to go to the beach trip, you can sign up at the Welcome Center. There will be a sign-up sheet there. Uh, if this interests you or your student, sign up. Okay? I really would like to get sign up, so it's not like Thursday and they're texting me like, hey, is there enough seats for me to go? It's like, there would have been if you signed up. Um, so, yeah, that. Uh, also, we just got back from camp uh, last Friday. It was a ton of fun. Uh, we had like, I think, 17 students go. Uh, it was a blast. Uh, on Instagram, if you are a student or if you just want to see pictures, um, you can go on Instagram element underscore pondo underscore uh, 2015. So there'll be a bunch of pictures there. Uh, if you took pictures and want to upload them, that'd be awesome. So you could do that there. Uh, I'm sure we'll be showing pictures in the next couple of weeks, things of that nature. solid. Solid. Let's do this. Will you guys stand me for the reading of God's word? This is 1 John 5.21. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Short, sweet, to the point. Awesome. Will you guys pray with me? Uh, Jesus, we thank you for being a God who loves us, who seeks us, even when we are far from you and running from you. Um, God, I pray today that you would reveal yourself to us and you would teach us more about you, more about ourselves, um, and that we would long to love you, that you would change our hearts so we are sensitive to your movement and your spirit. Um, God, we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so today, I get to talk about one of my favorite Bible stories from Scripture. It's out of the book of First Kings, um, and I'm pretty sure it was... 1st and 2nd Kings that really solidified my love of the Old Testament. Uh, After I fell in love with Jesus, I came back from camp and started um, reading New Testament. And then I was like, cool, done. Where do I go next? And someone recommended 1st Kings. And I was like, this is awesome. I did not know things like this happened. It was so cool. So if you have boys, if you have young boys, if you have teenage boys, I highly recommend you read 1st Kings with them. Stories of like heroes and battles and people dying, all things that boys like. So yeah, yeah. Um, our story is of the Elijah and the prophets of Baal. We got a couple pictures. Yeah, there he is. And then here's some child I don't know who decided to color green fire. It's not Harry Potter. It's Elijah. Come on, man. And then uh, the next one, they got they got the fire at least the right color. So sweet. Um, But I don't know. If I'm making fun of your kid, I'm really sorry. They are drawn beautifully. They're drawn beautifully. Um, (laughs) So uh, here's what's happening. Let me kind of set the stage and introduce you to some characters that are important to our story. Uh, First, we have Elijah. And Elijah is a prophet called by God. Elijah did what was right in the sight of God. He was faithful. He was bold. And I think because of that, he was also an outcast. He was kind of a loner. I think that was the life of a prophet. People got tired of hearing you yell at them and telling them to repent of sinful ways. So he kind of lived on the outskirts. He was a bit of a wilderness man, kind of a mountain man. He wore camel hair. He ate bugs. You guys remember John the Baptizer, how Aaron talked about how he like acted and you know what he wore, it pretty much started at elijah uh he 's just a trendsetter, I guess for prophets so um yeah <clears throat> and and one of the things that I like about Elijah is that is that he kind of didn 't care i mean he he loved God and and he cared a- about his mission, but everything else was kind of just like. Eh. So, so he didn't get dressed up to see kings. He didn't behave himself in front of royalty. He just was doing what God called him to. And everything else was kind of just like, well, you know, yeah. And so when Elijah shows up on the scene, we aren't really introduced to him. Most people get a little bit of introduction. We get to know where they come from, who they are, their family, things like that. Elijah kind of just shows up. And because of this, he's he's kind of a nobody, we don't know his family, we don't know his lineage, we don't know any of that stuff. He just shows up and starts kicking butt, just like right away. This is this is our introduction to Elijah. First Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah, the Tizbeite of Tizbite and Gilead, that's his introduction. We got where he's from. That's that's it. Cool. This is his first words. Says to King Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand. There shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And then it doesn't rain for three years, okay? That's his introduction. Elijah did what was right in the sight of God, shows up, says there's not going to be rain, and it doesn't rain for three years, okay? So seeing as we are sticking with the comic book theme, coloring book kind of, mostly comic book, it kind of reminds me of Wolverine, okay? Personally, I like comic books, and I like Wolverine. Uh, Wolverine is this wilderness lumberjack dude who loves animals. He's kind of an outcast. Um, He's got a slight rage problem, which we'll see in Elijah a little bit later. Um, When he first shows up, no one really knows him. No one really cares about him. But as they learn about Wolverine and what he can do, and he's like, he's got metal claws. No one knows his past. He can't die. These kinds of things, they're like, this guy's a big deal and kind of a pivotal point in the X-Men universe. A few of you are like, me? The rest of you are like, heck is this guy talking about? Um, <clears throat> kind of like Elijah, okay? Wilderness man, I don't know if he's that tough. Probably not nearly as good looking as Hugh Jackman, let's just be honest about that. Um, <clears throat> but he's, he's kind of a big deal. And he keeps kind of popping up in scripture, Uh, The last book of the Old Testament, uh, Malachi 4 5, says Elijah will come again, a voice calling from the wilderness. Jesus says in Matthew 17, 12, that Elijah has come again and and was John the baptizer. So you see that he keeps kind of popping up. Uh, The next character you need to know uh, is this false god named Baal. It was this god that really captured the hearts and the minds of the Israelites. And he was worshipped as a god of fertility, of crops, of children. He was worshipped as um, a sun god. He was worshipped as a sky god. He was worshipped as a god of rain, which is really important to see that. Like your sky rain god is like, oh, we praise this guy. And then Elijah's like, it's not going to rain for three years, thus says the Lord. And so it's kind of like, oh, God just defeated him. So things like that. Um, Part of... Worship to Baal would um, include ritualistic prostitution in the temples, uh, would sometimes include human sacrifices, typically the firstborn of the one making the sacrifice. Uh, The priests were known for their loud, ecstatic cries and self-injury. I don't know why he captured the hearts and minds of the Israelites, but he did. If anyone's like, you want to sign up, start cutting yourself? Nah, I'm all right. All right. So, uh, the next guy you need to know is King Ahab, uh, and Ahab was king of Israel. And this guy is a somebody. We know his past. We know his parents. We know his lineage. We know lots of, about him. But but the most important thing that we know about him is that he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and, and not just a little bit of evil. He he did a lot to make God angry. Okay, First Kings sixteen thirty three. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Okay. I don't know if you're familiar with Israel's track record of kings. They're not that great. do a lot to make God mad. Ahab just tops them all. Okay, So, he's, yeah, he's really not that great of a guy. So, Elijah comes and says, hey... There's not going to be any rain. There's not rain for three years. Elijah shows up again in front of King Ahab. And this is Ahab's greeting toward Elijah. It's you, the troublemaker of Israel. And this is how Elijah answers. He says, it's not me who's troubling Israel, but you. You worship these false gods. You have forgotten the real God. He says, it's not me who has brought this pain, this drought, this destruction to Israel, but it's you. You don't get to put that evil on me. That's on you. You have walked away from God. And there are consequences for that. And so there's this bickering that starts happening. They argue. And then they decide that there should be this this God fight. I don't know how or who predicted this would happen. But but essentially it's like um, two gods are going to step into the ring. The God that beats the other God up, that's the God that will worship. Everyone agrees on this, and it becomes this huge deal, okay this nationwide thing and everyone is talking about it it 's all over social media and Twitter and Instagram. people are talking about it on Facebook. Um, you know news anchors are showing up and trying to get interviews with people about who they think is going to win there's these polls that are being taken of who are you going to vote for? who are you hoping that's going to win? things like that it's this massive, massive deal so finally, the day shows. Where there is going to be this fight. This scheduled fight. And what happens is, is 450 prophets of Baal show up. Okay? Now this is important to get because the Israelites are God's chosen people. Okay? And they produce from their own people 450 prophets for this false god. They produce one prophet for God. It's just Elijah. So there's this stage that is set. I don't know if it was an actual stage, but that's just how I see it in my mind. And these 450 prophets are kind of gathering on one side. They don't all fit. And then there's one, just Elijah, standing on his side. And he looks at these prophets, and then he looks out at all of Israel, and you just see him broken hearted. He's like, How did you do this? How'd you produce four hundred and fifty prophets for this false God? And I'm the only one who will stand up here. He says this First Kings eighteen twenty one. He looks out at Israel and he says, How long will you go on limping between two different options? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. He says, How long are you going to play this game? How long are you going to claim to follow God and not pick something, do something? How many times has God been faithful to you and you walked away? How many times has God shown his love and his grace and his forgiveness and yet you turn your back? How many times will you continue to turn to these foolish, stupid gods? From your own people, you got 450 for Baal. And yet no one is willing to stand with me. No one is willing to stand with God. It's like he looks out on the people of Israel and he says, you guys are a joke. And he starts calling them out. He doesn't hold any punches. He tells them exactly how it is. And, and I like to think that each and every one of us would really, really like to be Elijah. Like, we'd like to be that guy who stands for truth and who stands up there and goes, you guys need to stand for truth, stand with me, stand for God. But in all honesty, probably not. Maybe a couple of us. But, but I think most of us in, in this scenario, in this situation, I think we identify most with the crowd of people gathered. We do. I think we have a hard time standing for truth. I mean, think about this. Do you take the truth of God with you everywhere? Do you stand for the truth of God in your workplace? Do you teach the truth of God to your children? Do you live it out? Do you talk about it with others? I'm not asking if you take the truth of God onto social media. That's, that's, that's not what we're going for. I'm asking if you if you live it daily. Do you speak it daily? Do you stand boldly? See, I think most of us identify with the people in the crowd because most of us are comfortable on the sidelines. Well, I'll let someone else do the work, I'll let someone else stand for truth. I'll let someone else lead the charge. And if it works, then I'm gonna try and grab onto their coattail and just kind of piggyback them. But for me to go and do that, that's that's too scary for me. I'm scared I might be shamed, I'm scared to rock the boat, I'm scared to be rejected. There's great risk in standing for truth, so I'll just stand on the sidelines and, and, and hope for the best and kind of just stick with the winner. Maybe some of us identify with the prophets of Baal, or we identify with King Ahab. It's like we're more comfortable taking a stand for almost anything but Christ. I'll talk to anyone about my favorite sports teams or hobbies or my favorite beer or wine, but, but Jesus, that's, that's a little too far, buddy save that for a select few on a select night. save that from a notes night group. And, and even then, when I'm with those people, I don't really talk about how much I am in need of a redeemer and a savior and how awful I am and how I feel stuck in this sin. I just say, oh, I'm good. I'm good. Can I pray for you? Oh, I'm good, man. See, the situation in our lives aren't that different. Like every day there is a battle of gods in your life. The question is, which one will you stand for? Or will you be limping between two different options, doing nothing? So, after Elijah invites the people to repent, he sets the stage for how this God showdown is going to happen. And he says this, Let two bulls be given to us. And let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it into pieces and lay it on wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and I will lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. You call upon the name of your God and I'll call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So he says, look, we're going to take two bulls. You can pick whatever bull you want. I'll just have the leftover. I don't really care. It doesn't matter. Okay. You build an altar out of wood. You cut up this bull. You put it on there on on your on your wood, but 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 don't set any fire to it. Don't light it on fire. I'll do the same thing. The God that answers in a barbecue—that's the God we're going to worship. Okay. And they're like, that sounds pretty fair. And all the people of Israel are like, free lunch. Nice. Okay. So everyone's pretty stoked on this idea. Everyone agrees. Elijah's like, you guys got strength and numbers. Why don't you guys just go first? Sure, why not? So the prophets of Baal took the bull that was given to them and they prepared it. And they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. No one answered. They limped around the altar that they had made. So prophets make this altar, cut up the bowl, they put it on there, cool, and they start limping in this like slow stagger around the altar, like 450 of them, and what this reminds me of is like the drunken stagger of someone getting kicked out of the bar at like 2 a.m., okay, so they're just all like, I don't know if they decided to pre-game this crazy god fight, but they're kind of just like staggering around this altar, walking in circles, like Saying, I don't know what their chance were. I'm not really sure. Um, but nothing happens. And Elijah finally cracks. And he's like, I, I can't take it. Like, you guys look so drunk and pathetic. I, I got to make fun of you. I just I just have to. Verse 27. At noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he's musing or relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and he must be awakened. So he starts taunting them. He starts making fun of them and their God right to their face. He goes, he is a God, right? I mean, he's he's real, right? Why hasn't he answered you? You guys have been at this for quite a few hours. There's 450 of you. Uh, Maybe... He's relieving himself. Maybe your God ate a lot of cheese or had a really bad Mexican burrito last night and can't get off his porcelain throne. Like, this is what he's saying, okay? Maybe he's like, oh, maybe he's asleep. Maybe he had a little bit too much NyQuil last night and you guys have to yell louder and you guys aren't yelling loud enough. Try that. And so they all look at each other and are like, this guy's a smart guy. And they start yelling louder, He's like, I was trying to make fun of you. It just continues. And they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with swords and lances until blood gushed out upon them. I mean, it gets crazy. In the morning, it was like a bunch of drunk dudes staggering around. Then some idiot decided to bring knives, attach them to string, and swing them around like glow sticks at a rave. So he just like walks in there and starts mosh pitting with swords, cutting everyone and they're like, "Oh no." And so they all get their swords and it starts like this crazy brutal mosh pit with weapons. As was their custom. Like you can't you can't miss that. This was this was normal. And I'm like, "How is this normal? Is it like the most holy one of them is the guy that survived the most like death mosh pits? Like that guy survived 7. Follow him. He knows what he's doing. Like, this is this is madness. It's crazy. <sighs> so, as midday passed, they raved on until the time of offering of obligation. Finally, Elijah's like, this is pathetic, guys. Come on. Come on. Um, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. So, their window of opportunity closes. And, and, and I love this. There was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. It's like no one cared. See, see here's the thing with this false god Baal. They yell and they sacrifice and they worship all day and no one cares. No one listens. No one pays attention. No one answers. Do you think we like to look at civilizations that lived thousands of years ago and go, aren't they foolish? Look at them cutting themselves and crying out loud and getting drunk for their God. Don't they know no one's paying attention? They know their God is false. And you and I do the same thing today. We throw ourselves at these false gods, hoping that they bring peace or comfort or stability or joy or more money or a great family or a life. They bring happiness, hoping they bring happiness. We put our trust in some false god. Put our trust in something that we want to have power and doesn't. Something like money or the opposite sex or a spouse or a kid or a future relationship or a hobby or a job or control. If I get this, then I'll be happy. If I get this, then I'll have stability. If I get this, then I'll have purpose. If I get this, then I'll be satisfied. And no one answers. No one pays attention. It's like no one cares. I think if I have enough faith and sacrifice enough for this false God, then I'll have salvation. And it's just not there. Because our false gods don't have the ability to love us like we need. False gods don't have the ability to save us. And this is what Elijah points out to everyone. And he's not being rude. He's just stating the truth. He says, keep shouting, but no one listens. Keep cutting yourself, but no one sees. Keep pursuing, but you will never find. Because it's not there. It's not Real. The idea that something other than Jesus will give you a new heart, will bring you a new life, isn't real. The idea that someone or something other than Christ can bring true salvation into our lives just isn't real. It's only Christ. Christ paid that price for our salvation. He died upon a cross, suffered because he loves because he cares, because he answers, because he listens. It is only Jesus that can bring salvation. Screaming and crawling for salvation anywhere else is pointless because it's just not there. And I'm sure you get this. I get this. Because we've tried. I think everyone in here has tried. I've tried for salvation elsewhere. I've tried for just joy elsewhere. And I have failed over and over again. The Israelites continue to try to find their salvation in false gods. And they continue to come up empty-handed. And Elijah's like, this is just the truth that you need to know. So finally, it's God's turn. Okay? what Elijah does, he's like, all right, you guys step aside. Um, He builds this small altar. He puts some wood under it, and, and then he starts to dig this trench. Verse 32, and with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two sheaves of seed. And he put the wood in order and he cut the bowl in pieces and he laid it on the wood. And then he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. He says, go down to the river, take your five-gallon jugs, fill them up, come back and just pour it all over, all over the wood, all over the offering. And then he says, do it a second time. So they did it a second time. And then he says, do it a third time. And they do it a third time. Verse 35, and the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. Now, remember, we're in a drought right now, okay? Not Santa Maria, but yeah, I guess. Uh Uh, Israel is in in a drought. Hasn't rained in three years, okay? So they have to go down to the river to get this water. And, And really, in a drought, as you guys know, things are just ready to catch on fire, it's just, it's just ready. And so what I think Elijah is doing is he's trying to make this wood the least likely wood in all of Israel to catch fire. He's like, I, I don't want someone being like, well, if the hipsters didn't show up smoking their American spirits, then it wouldn't have caught on fire. You know, like, that's, that's that's not an option. It's like some kid was playing with his magnifying glass and it caught the sun and... and You know, no. You know, well, when you were building the altar, some wood ran together, created heat, and then it burst into flames, and that's what happened. No, no. This is the least likely wood in all of Israel to catch fire. He says this wood is not catching on fire without God. There is no way it's happening. Verse 36. And at the time of offering of the obligation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel... Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. That I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me. That these people may know that you are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Thirty-eight. And the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water from the trench. I just think that's pretty neat how it's just like wood, fire, stones, fire, dust. sets that on fire too. I don't know what that looks like. And then it just licks up the water from the trench like it was no big deal. That was easy. Pretty neat. Uh, Verse 39. When all the people saw it, They fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The Lord is God. And there's great reason for celebrating and rejoicing in that. Because he hears, he listens, he cares, he saves. Even in our foolishness, even in our brokenness, even in our running away from him and worshiping false gods, he still seeks us out to save us. He changes hearts. He changes minds. Ezekiel thirty six twenty six says, And I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. That's God's desire. That's God's plan. To remove a heart of stone that doesn't feel, that can't truly love, and replace it with the heart of flesh that loves, that feels, that beats, that is sensitive to God and his word and his spirit. heart that has the ability to truly worship. See, this story is just one story of God seeking and saving his people. This story is all about God seeking and saving his people. It's not about Elijah. It's not about how great Elijah is, because in all honesty, he's really not that great. Okay? The next chapter, the next thing that happens, if you continue reading First Kings, is that Elijah goes, and he runs to the wilderness. And he takes a nap, and he wakes up, and he goes, God, I want to die now. It would be great if you could just kill me right now. Instead, God gives him some food. And then what he does is he goes on a 40-day journey through the wilderness with no supplies, no food, and no water, hoping that God will kill him, essentially trying to commit suicide. Then he comes to a cave, goes into that cave, prays again, God, just kill me now, I'm done. See, Elijah's not that great. Elijah is this guy who is a lot like us. Seeks the easy way out. He kind of wants his comfort. He's easily broken hearted is a story about God's greatness and God delivering his people. It kind of reminds me of um, the Exodus story, where the Israelites, they they come away from Egypt, and God parts this Red Sea. And he's delivered from this Red Sea, and then he he closes this Red Sea on the the Egyptians. And essentially what God does with the Israelites when he delivers them out of Egypt. And he says, you're done with Egypt. You're you're done with Egypt. Because all that's left for you in Egypt is death. And you see that in this. And you see that in this story. Because the story ends with this verse. Verse 40. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Let no one escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook at Kishon and slaughtered them there. He goes all Wolverine on them and it's like, next, (laughs) next. (laughs) It's brutal. it has got a slight rage problem. But this is very much. You're done with this. You're done with Baal. And the only thing left for you in this false god is death. That's that's it. But that's not the end of the Israelites' story and that's not the end of our story. Because we know that It's not just death that waits. We know that there is great life that waits, and there is great life that God brings. This is why we come to communion every single week. Every week we come and we break that cracker, which represents Christ's body that was broken for us, and we dip in the wine and the grape juice, which represents his blood that was poured for us, and we say, thank you for bringing life, for dying a death. So that I don't have to, and instead of me deserving death, you give me life. Thank you for that. We praise him for that. We worship God through music. The band's gonna come up. We play a few songs and we sing of God's greatness. We sing of God's ability to save, God's ability to feel, to seek, and to bring us a new heart, a new desire to place that within us. Even when we are lost, even when we are running from him, he still seeks us. We worship God through tithes and offerings. There's offering boxes in the side and in the back, and we worship God through giving because we see that he has given everything to us already. So we give part of what we have back to him. Worship God through prayer. There's going to be some elders and deacons in the back and if you're like the Israelites, if you like, I have been running after a false god for a long time. It's been a long time. I've found a lot of death. Pray with someone. Someone from your gospel community is here. Pray with them. Let that, let that community be part of your repentant process. That you'd repent of that sin and that you would... Walk alongside others as you live life together, seeking Jesus as a community. We worship God through community. There's some food in the back. But but more than that, get together with someone. Go out for lunch. Have gospel community be more than a notes night. Confess sin and grow together. Serve together. Love Jesus together. Will you guys pray with me? Whew. Jesus, we thank you for rain, but it is hot. Um, God, we thank you for being a God who seeks us. Who seeks us in our brokenness and in our foolishness. Seeks us even when we are running from you. We are running towards these false gods that we think will bring salvation. But don't. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us. That you would change our hearts so that we would love you more. We would long to serve you and worship you more. And we thank you for these great stories of you seeking your people. And we know that they aren't just stories. They're truth. The truth that still happens today. You still seek us today. So I ask that you give us new hearts, hearts that feel, hearts that are sensitive to you. And we would long to worship you. God, we give you glory. Amen.